Hello, and welcome to Securing Sexuality, the podcast where we discuss the intersection of intimacy and information security. I'm Wolf Gorlick. He's a hacker, and I'm Stephanie Gorlick. She's a sex therapist, and together we're going to discuss what safe sex looks like in a digital age. And today what we're looking at is, uh, is what? Is our trip to... <laughs> Which trip? We have been going on way too many trips recently. Um, but I think we were going to roll the last month when we were, you know, we took December off, right? We had been putting out an episode a week for the second half of 2022, and we took December as a sabbatical, uh, which doesn't necessarily mean that we did anything restful because we were at GalaxyCon in Columbus. We attended a sexual health alliance uh, training in Jamaica. One of the themes that came up in all of our travels is um, this idea of sapiosexuality, which is what, baby? Oh, it's what we do, baby. <laughs> it's it's the, uh, the love and attraction towards someone for what they know, how they think. It's a big, sexy brain. Big, sexy brain. There you go. And this term is relatively new, right? I mean, it came out within my lifetime, at least. Yeah, absolutely. So the the first person to talk about sapiosexuality was Darren Stalder. He he coined the term back in 1998 to describe his own sexuality. And that makes sense because he was he was an engineer. <laughs> that makes perfect sense that that a, a left-brained, solutions-focused individual would be drawn to other people who exhibit a certain degree of intelligence. He said, I want to be in, I want an incisive, inquisitive, insightful, irreverent mind. I want someone for whom philosophical discussion is foreplay. That's a lot of I words. Oh, but they're good ones. They're good ones. <laughs> you know, and what's fascinating about that, we, we've talked about this and we, we saw it at, at GalaxyCon. What, what's fascinating about that is, you know, if you take it back to the animal level, right? If you take it back to like the, the crows who bring this shiny sparkle things home to, to attract mates or, or the, uh, the folks who are, or the beavers who build the big dams or any, anyone, right? It's that sort of thing that I'm collecting something, something that I find attractive, something I find interesting, and I'm willing to share it with you. And I thought that was intriguing at, at GalaxyCon because people were like, this is, this is what I know. This is what I've learned. Here, let me share a fact. You know, And that's how people were forming friendships. That's how possibly people were <laughs> forming more. That idea that um, by knowing something, sharing something, uh, you can become a little closer. And I think that that's something that resonates with us because that's a huge part of how you and I first sort of bonded when we started dating. We courted by doing a conference talk together, which is not something you hear a lot of the time, I think. I suspect we might have been unique in that. And the idea that one feels a bond, one feels an attraction, not necessarily based on appearances or on pheromones, but on witty banter is something that resonates with, with me for sure. And I suspect as my husband with you as well. 
Yes, although I'm a big pheromone freak, it's well known. <laughs> yeah, it certainly does. So, you know, I shared the example of people at Comic-Con, and we saw it in like every single line for every <laughs> single thing. Oh, did you see this episode? Oh, did you see that? Oh, did you know this, right? I shared that as an example. Do you have another example that, that you've seen in our, our whirlwind December? I think one of the things that's been most interesting, because we've been in a lot of environments where some artful undressing is a part of the environment, right? Whether that's the world of cosplay, which often involves either taking a, a fictional character to the yards and yards of fabric Victorian style visiting dress, or to the other extreme of a couple inches of fabrics and turning a costume into something much more skimpy, much more seductive. And then being in Jamaica where it's a beach environment and everybody's in bathing suits um, or, or short sundresses or what have you. The idea that even in environments that allow for such, I'm going to say objectification, but I mean that in a more positive way. It allows the opportunity to skim a crowd and identify quickly who you find attractive and who you don't based on external aesthetics. In both of those environments, what we found were people bonding over conversation and bonding over maybe not trivia per se, but but facts and knowledge and and flirting by sharing their intelligence with one another in a way that I thought was really cool to watch. Yeah, and sometimes that's dropping an anecdote and whatnot. Sometimes that's sharing a fact or sharing a link. Sometimes that's introducing someone to something new. And sometimes people can overshoot. Uh, <laughs> I remember, for example, I was walking with you at Comic-Con and a guy walked by and it bothered me. It bugged me. It bugged me. And, you know, I I am a passing fan of Star Trek. I've seen every every episode of every program out there. and A passing fan. A passing fan. <laughs> and this gentleman was wearing, uh, and anyone who, who knows it will immediately cringe. He was wearing the first season outfit, right? The first season of Next Generation's uniform, but he was wearing a uh, Picard st show uh, combat, which in universe is separated by 30, 35 years of, of time. I think it's 2364 to 2399 or something like that. And I was saying that to you. I was like, rrr, rrr. and the look you gave me, I felt like I grew another head. <laughs> I mean, let's be clear. Sapiosexuality isn't just, ooh, that guy knows stuff. It's got to be stuff the other person finds intriguing. And I, I don't know necessarily that your deep Picard knowledge was quite the turn on that you had perhaps hoped um, in that moment. <laughs> so that is that is one thing to be aware of, right? Like the fact that somebody calls themselves a sapiosexual doesn't necessarily mean that IQ alone is going to turn them on. You still have to have a, a meeting of like minded areas of interest. I'm sure there were dozens, if not hundreds, of women at GalaxyCon that would have sat at your feet and listened to you pontificate about whatever the heck it was you just said for hours and been fascinated. But but 
that's that's not me. That's not the way my brain is wired. Should should we try? Should we try an experiment? Well, that depends. Does it involve me listening to more Star Trek fanfics? <laughs> no, I think you're off the hook. But you 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 bring up a good point, right? There does need to be a starting point of commonality, which is one of the nice things about interest specific conferences, be it a hacker con, be it one of your conferences, be it a comic con, you have a starting point that people are in that fandom or in that interest. I mean, would you call your stuff a fandom? I don't know. It's your career. I wouldn't say fandom. I, I mean, it's an academic discipline for sure. I do think that there are conferences where it could be considered a fandom, right? Things like, you know, Sex Down South or the the beloved, dearly departed Thunder in the Mountains. Those are or were events that drew not just academics or, or mental health providers, but also everyday people that were just fascinated by a particular subject around sexuality and sexual health. So there are definitely people who would say they're sex nerds or that they are, are relationship geeks. Uh, but in my world, I don't know that we would refer to my profession as a fandom per se. I think I'm going to start referring to my profession as a fandom <laughs> just until, until someone stops me. You know, one of the things that has always been interesting to watch as, as because I wasn't somebody that went to conferences before you and I met. I went to one or two over the years that my work would send me to, and that was about it. And so when I started going to events with you, I will admit to a certain degree of surprise at how often people were hooking up at tech conferences or at hacker conferences. And now it makes so much more sense to me because people are sharing their skill. They're demonstrating their maker ability. They're talking about really rich, deep, niche subjects with other people that are just as passionate about that niche as they are. And it makes sense that at a certain point, those conversations are going to stop feeling like water cooler conversations and start feeling a little bit more like flirting. So we, we've got a couple things there then, right? So first off, it has to be a shared interest. I'm I'm slowly, as we talk, building in my mind the framework of sapiosexuality. <laughs> so first, it has to be a shared interest, right? Don't talk Star Trek to, to my wife. I mean, you can, but she's not going to like it. <laughs> the Then it has to be a degree of proficiency, a degree of, of skill. It makes me think almost uh, of the levels of power, right? Which you know, doesn't necessarily... Per- to seduction but if you if you have knowledge that's a form of power if you're able to accomplish something you have a skill that's a form of power if it ties into something right like if you have a good comic book collection that says something about <laughs> your economic power if nothing else because uh, these things are are no longer as cheap as they were when when I was a wee lad is, is it also like demonstrating that right it's a it's a little bit of chest thumping on the male side i I don't know what the the female version of that would be but a little bit of chest thumping on the male side i I think that that's accurate on both sides i think that competency is sexy 
everybody wants to have their partner or the person that they're dating surprise them with a dinner. But if that dinner is burnt and oversalted and still somehow raw on the inside, that quickly stops becoming an romantic fantasy and turns into maybe a relationship deal breaker, if nothing else, a nasty case of food poisoning. And so it's not enough to just share an interest. There, you got to be good at it. And I think one of the things that we saw over all of the events that we've we've been to recently is the people that are really good at what they do are the ones that were showing up. And you could sit in a hallway at GalaxyCon and watch some really amazing construction walk by, whether that's a costume or a, a mock-up of a fantasy weapon or any number of other things. You could catch talks on everything from ghost hunting to astrology to, yes, Star Trek and everything else. Oh, and the the author of Tribbles. You got to meet your favorite Star Trek author, which again, this conversation not doing you any favors and winning <laughs> me over. But you're right. The guy that came up with Tribbles was there. It's not my favorite author, but it's one of one of the authors that I I, I do respect. Uh, now I, I don't fanboy though. It's not like I got in line and was like, here, get, let me get an autograph and a photo with everybody. That's that's not my style. To your point about cooking, I do want to just go on record thanking you for surviving my boiled vegetables early on. You are very good at cooking as long as that cooking style is boiled. <laughs> Truly. I mean, that's a great example of how it's not just niche skill, right? It's about being well-rounded. And it's about having the competency to back up whatever that niche interest is. And that is what we saw over and over again in our travels. Whether, I mean, the event that we were at with Shaw was a great chance to sit and have these really in-depth conversations around these niche communities or practices or modalities of care in in working with with clients across the sexuality spectrum and i know that that wasn't necessarily something that you had gotten to experience firsthand before the intelligence is the starting point of sapiosexuality but the ability to apply that intelligence effectively is what really sells the deal and i think this gets back to technology right now obviously one of the things we talk about hacker cons it's hey what can you make that technology do? <laughs> How skilled are you at getting a piece of technology to do something it's not supposed to do, right? How can you can you uh, bypass or modify or, or make your own? How can you demonstrate your mastery of this material? So certainly that's a, a big part of it. Uh, however, specific with technology, do you think that our way of making relationships these days is leading to a greater degree of sapiosexuality. And I'll tell you why I asked that was uh, uh, recently saw an ad for improving my DM game. There's a, there's apparently a workshop that men can take to really get your DM game up. And a, I was unaware that I was supposed to have a DM game. <laughs> and 
and B, I'm not sure why they were proposing it to me. But do you think that the way we meet today is increasing sapiosexuality? Because a lot of it starts off with text-based conversations. I definitely do. I think that grammar has become foreplay in a way that people perhaps would not have thought of in the 80s and 90s. And we are, with online dating and with dating profiles, especially with the swipey apps, right? The Bumbles, the Tinders, the Hinges, we don't have to read an entire profile before we swipe right or swipe left. And those muscle movements become so quick that I have many times had friends or clients tell me I didn't really process what it said until after I'd already swiped left and then I was kicking myself. So we are making these evaluations of other people based on a very, very quick assessment of their language use, of the interests that they choose to prioritize in describing themselves, in the way that they're writing, in the word choice that they use. And all of those are one aspect of intelligence. Verbal intelligence is only one of many, but it's interesting to me to see just how important language and language usage has become in the courtship process, especially because we're not really a phone culture anymore. Even once you make it past the swipey app, you're still probably much more likely to be writing to one another in text than you are to be talking on the phone. And the way that people use words and language and the way that they construct their simple text messages, I do agree with you, is filtering towards sort of um, a more sapiosexual um, match process than we might have seen years ago when somebody could woo you with words over the phone without ever needing to prove to you that they could spell the topics that they're talking to you about. Well, see, I wasn't even thinking about the picture side. I was thinking post that, right? Because so much of dating for like the baby boomer generation was whoever was near you, really, who's in your town or that you see every day, um, you know, that you catch their eye and then you, you, you know, muster the courage to ask them out. Um, and you don't necessarily know much about a person other than where they're going and where they live at, at that point in time. So I was thinking post the swipe. But those first like couple days, those first couple weeks of, of messaging. Oh, you like this? I like that. What about this? Let me tell you a joke. You know, it's interesting to me to see like the dad jokes return and the clever humor return. And one can argue whether or not a dad joke counts as clever humor. But you start to see that on the rise, right? As those first couple exchanges trying to get someone's attention and, and keep someone's attention. I, I could see that too. I, I hadn't necessarily thought about the word play piece or the proximity piece, but you you are right. And it used to be that if you lived in a small town in rural, I don't know, Missouri, and you wanted to run away to Harvard and major in French philosophy, the people around you were probably not necessarily going to connect to that goal in a way that being able to find other French philosophy fans online would. 
And and so you're right. There is expanded access. There is expanded community. And then there's also this, how are we evaluating and weighing the, the people that we interact with once we find them? And I do think both of those are lending themselves towards a, a more sapiosexual evolution for us as a culture. Which works out great for me because um, I don't have a motorcycle. But you do have a big, sexy brain. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I like yours too. <laughs> what are you doing after this podcast? Probably taking a nap with you. Oh, that, <laughs> honestly, uh, I I could probably go for a nap right now. It wasn't exactly what I had in mind, but I you, you could talk me into it. You could talk me into it. Now, when we think about these DMs, though, another thing that I, I'm concerned about is... All right, so sapiosexuality, we we want to have knowledge, we want to have skill, we want to have an overlap, we want to use that knowledge and skill to be like, hey, here's something shiny, uh, right? The exchange of memes, the exchange of facts, the exchange of data in our relationship, the exchange of research papers. One of my concerns is where are these messages being held? You know, we, we recently had uh, this sort of movement from one social media platform to another, many of us going to Mastodon. And one of the conversations that many security people have been having is be aware that Mastodon, your your messages are not encrypted. And one of the things that many people have become aware of on many of these platforms is be aware that these messages may be kept or may be stored. You know, one of the things that concerns me is that this courtship ritual um, hey, let me tell you about com badges. Uh, these, this courtship ritual being transmitted in a way that previously you would just have a conversation with someone and be forgotten to be done. But now these things have uh, a life. This data has a life after the relationship and has has meaning and potential uses to people outside of the relationship. So it sounds almost like what you're describing is, you know, I'm listening to you and what's what's coming to my mind is the old World War II propaganda posters, you know, loose lips sink ships. Be careful what you tell the pretty girl in the bar trying to brag and flirt with her about how, you know, well positioned you are and how important you are in the Navy because she might be a German spy. And I'm wondering if I, I would be curious to know if that ever happens at the big tech conferences. I wonder if there are industrial espionage honeypots happening everywhere around us and we don't even know it. I'm not going to go into it, but this has definitely happened in cybersecurity. Oh, wow. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Huh. I'll tell you this story when we take a nap. <laughs> <laughs> but I think this gets to uh, another important point when we talk about safe sex, right? Apps like Signal and what was the other one that the messages disappeared that you used to recommend? Uh, Mark Cuban had one. I'm not sure if it's still around. It was called Cyberdust, Cyber and I really Dust. liked it. Yes. When the Sony when the Sony hack happened, Mark Cuban was very self satisfied, and frankly, he deserved to be because he had insisted that all of the communication around his negotiations for Shark Tank, the TV show happened on his secure app on Cyberdust. So when the Sony leak happened, he was one of the wealthiest people connected to Sony that was not impacted by the hack because he insisted that they use his platform and it was encrypted. 
<laughs> Good for him. Good for him. That is an important takeaway, I think. You know, now I'm going to I'm going to throw a wrench into this, but my my preference would be let's be on a platform where we can exchange information and flirt and I can tell you about com badges. And in my in my fantasy, you actually care about my Star Trek knowledge, so just go along with me. And uh, and yet, yet uh, for the listener who can't see, we record a video, and she is vigorously shaking her head no at me. But yet, the the messages are ephemeral, right? You, we exchange them, and after a few days, they disappear. We, there's a setting on Signal that I use all the time for this, and and I I would prefer that, and and it be not on someone's platform where it's discoverable or it's maintained or anything. I, I like that idea of a flirt being like a sunset. And once that sunset's gone, you have the memory of it, but you don't necessarily have the record. of it. And see, as somebody who is a word person, I don't know that I do like that because think about all of the, and what I'm about to say is going to make your security heart cringe Think about all of the love letters that we have from ages past, from from um, or Heloise and Abelard up through James Joyce and his ridiculously filthy love letters. You know, we we have these sort of erotic legacies that are left for us, and those are. Not just for some instances, like Joyce and Hildegard of Bingen, cultural artifacts, but they are family artifacts too, right? Like there's something kind of cool about finding the love letter that your grandma sent to your grandpa in World War II. Or the artfully arranged Polaroids that mom sent to dad in Vietnam. Like there's something... I don't want flirtation to be so finite. I don't want the paper trail of love and lust to disappear into the ether. I want those to be preservable. And so there I think we differ a little bit. I can see it now. Okay, folks, take the Up Your DM Game Workshop and your DMs, your filthy, filthy DMs, will one day be up there with Joyce for your grandkids. <laughs> Nobody wants their kids to find their nudes. Nobody wants that. But if you go a generation further, the nastiest notes become nostalgic and become a record that these people were here and they loved each other and they had a life beyond baking cookies with me. And there is something really powerful about that, that I love. And I would hate to see because we, everything we do is digital these days. None of us write a love letter. If somebody's super lucky, they might get a love email. And most of us, I don't even think do that. We have the, the instantaneous ability to, shoot somebody a DM or a text message and say, I was thinking about your boobs right now. And that's all they do. 
that as a history lover, as a wordsmith, makes me really sad. So I hear I hear the security piece and I get it. And I think that if people don't want to leave a romantic or erotic paper trail, they shouldn't have to. But I will say I think that that does represent a cultural and historical loss. I, I want the the lusty romantic legacy to continue and to be archived somewhere. So there, there's a tip to our dear listener. Write write a love note in paper to, to your loved one and uh, and make their day. And talk about how lovely their breasts would look with a combat right, right there. <laughs> no, uh, so here's here's the thing about that though, and and you know, I know we're coming to the end of this episode, but here's here's my concern. With with a Polaroid or with the love letter. It's one copy, it's physical, it's tangible. I have control over it. I have it in, in my um, I have it in my safe. You have it in your cedar chest of memories, right? We we have it somewhere. And with a lot of this data that we exchange when we're setting up relationships and bringing cool facts and seducing each other and you know, touting the power of our big brains. I am very concerned about it being owned by some corporation or being data that uh, can be copied and, and distributed. You know, being a, a picture that can be posted on a revenge site. I am very concerned about the fungibility uh, of this information. And so we're, we're not going to solve this today. But one of the things that I think is a, is a principle when it comes to um, seduction and, and safe sex is I have control over the words of which I share. For sure. And that is another point in favor of the old-fashioned handwritten love letter because it belongs to you and it belongs to the recipient and it belongs to your great-grandchildren and maybe it belongs to the Library of Congress, but it does not belong to Meta. Yes. Although I'm submitting all our early texts to the Library of Congress, by the way. I, I forgot to tell you this. I probably should get your consent. Um, <laughs> I actually think you don't need mine anymore. I think you have to get Elon Musk's personal consent to share our flirty text with the Library of Congress at this point. Oh, don't even say that. All right. With that, <laughs> thank you so much for tuning in to Securing Sexuality, your source for the information you need to protect yourself and your relationships. Securing Sexuality is brought to you by the Bound Together Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit. From the bedroom to the cloud, we're here to help you navigate safe sex in a digital age. Be sure to check out our website, Securing Sexuality, for links to more information about the topics we've discussed here today, as well as our 2023 live conference in Detroit. And join us again for more fascinating conversations about the intersection of sexuality and technology. Have a great week!